Hello, this is Black Country Blokes chewing the fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Abby, now it's the Black Country Blokes, doing the fact about everything it is, mental health, disability and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, as always, Lee Cadman. Now today we're joined by two doctors, two for the price of one, Dr. Becky and Dr. Panam. Yeah. And they're going to be coming on talking about the end of life plan. But as always, we're going to start with our gratitude list. Now, I've had a bit of a rubbish weekend, like um, with boxing. I had a couple of lads out boxing, and my lad, Osman Mohammed was boxing, getting warmed up for his his championships in two weeks. Was absolutely beating the lads on everyone's cards, and an, an accidental clash of heads split his head open, mm-hmm. hit the canvas. So he's got a 30 day ban, so he's out the championships. Oh. I was absolutely gutted. But then, you know, I talked to the kid and he's just, you know, remarkable lad. And he just goes, it happens, Kev, doesn't matter. I went, what did you do? I went to the mosque, washed it, had a prayer and ready to go again. You know, I was devastated because it's a year's uh, championship stay in the pan. But it's, uh, it's remarkable how positive and strong people are. And this is one of them kids. He's had so many setbacks in the game, but he just turns up and he trains and you know, sometimes, I mean, as a teacher, I'm grateful for learning from the students, you know, because I'll go on all this like positivity and higher and I was ranting at Mark Kate going, look, put all this bloody positivity out there and <laughs> nobody comes back. And she went, but positive comes in different ways. Sometimes you don't see it. You know, sometimes it is accidents happen, no matter how positive you are. It's not like God set about smiting Kev Dillon's boxer. <laughs> He has better things to do than cutting Osama's head. It's just how we perceive it. So I'm grateful for having positive people in my life to remind me that I am positive and accidents do happen. What are you positive for? What are you grateful for? Oh, for my work this week, I visited a, an old fella yesterday who had a, who needed his wheelchair, his electric wheelchair repaired. I actually spoke to someone while I was there who is a, a nurse for end-of-life care. And obviously, I mentioned that you two were coming on. Hopefully, she's watching. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> she's found us and she's watching. But you know, when you just stop and have a really good conversation with someone, and and they get what you're you're talking about, and they understand what you're you're saying. Yeah, so I'm I'm grateful for that. Grateful for conversation, and the one we're about to have. <laughs> yeah, two things. I think I always start my gratitude list with family and friends, and I think my husband's been away on work this week, so I think it's just me. You're grateful for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. well, if he's not watching. Yeah, I know. But no, actually, it's made me the opposite. It's made me sort of um, realise how much he actually does and how supportive he is. So, um, yeah, very grateful for that. And and then secondly, to be able to, I guess, work with um, such dedicated healthcare professionals who are trying to improve patient care. And I think, again, on the opposite side of that, we've got patients who actually allow us to have um, the meaningful conversations and give us an insight into their lives and actually trust us with their information. So, yeah, very grateful for that as well. <laughs> 
I'm mostly grateful for my family and the fact that they listen to me moaning and stressing all the time about everything, mainly work, um, you know, and, and they allow me to vent so that I can get rid of all those negative things and think about the more positive things and, and just sort of get on with the, the, the good stuff. We need that in our lives. I mean, I often laugh with Lee and we both say, both married, both love our partners more than God's green apples. But sometimes I find when you, in our in our case, especially in mine, when we moan at our partners sometimes, and same with our Kate when she moans at me, we almost take it personal. It's like um, I'm dead in the dumps. Is it me? Then your natural go-to, is it me? Is, is it something I've done? And sometimes you're just having a, a bad day. You're just, but because we love them so much, we want to make it better. We want to repair it. And sometimes just being there, is the best medicine isn't it yeah it's true it's not about fixing it's just being there and just you know if you want to hold hands if you want to have a go at me if you want whatever <laughs> i'm here for you no matter what yeah yeah and i think sometimes you don't even have to say anything it's just having someone there mm. i think that means that just means a lot and i think sometimes what me and lee have had over the last four years we've known each other for 20 odd years but what this has brought is like sometimes when i am having a wobble and I can't necessarily talk to my my biological family. I can we can talk to each other, can't we? Yeah. Sometimes you can think just even if it's a oh, bloody girl the rant, <laughs> or if it's you know I'm, I'm having a bit of a wobble, I've had a panic attack, or so. And it's nice just having that person who you can rely on and bounce off, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we do quite often there, don't we? Yeah, pretty much daily. You phone me up. <laughs> so I start ignoring that call. <laughs> No, it is. It is good. Can I just add that if anyone's got any questions who's watching, well, we've got two experts in the room. <laughs> Write them in. No, <laughs> Don't no laugh. Pressure, no <laughs> we've got two experts and two doctors. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, first of all, but, um, we'll get to you. What, what is your actual role? What's your what's your full title? So I'm a GP in Hales Owen. I'm clinical lead for cancer and end of life for Dudley Integrated Health and Care Trust. And I'm also a Macmillan GP. Mm. Busy. Yeah, busy. Yeah, very, very busy. So it's again sort of, I split my roles between cancer and end of life. And I think sometimes people think cancer and end of life sort of link in and they're the same thing, but actually they're two separate, mm. separate things. And I think it's just trying to, to make people more aware of that, um, that they're not always linked. They can be, but they're not always linked and to try and sort of separate them and have those discussions. So again, we do a lot of clinical work um, and things in the background with sort of pathways for patients. And uh, we do a lot of work sort of looking at services and, um, and trying to improve patient care. But a lot of my work also involves sort of talking to patients as well and um and actually just supporting some of the I guess sort of services that are out there so for example for the end of life um a support that like dying matters week that which happens every week in May and we do lots of events for that so it's just trying to get as much information out there um for patients but also supporting other sort of healthcare professionals um in their in their roles to try and discuss and understand the importance of, of the end of life and the cancer because like with cancer i mean when you hear the c word <clears throat> you, you do think it's the end don't you but we've moved so forward in the last 10 to 20 years haven't we it hasn't necessarily 
got to be a death sentence now, has it? No, and I think it's just explaining that to patients. And I think, you know, we often sort of, we often think it's just the end and there's nothing more. But actually, as you mentioned, I mean, over years, uh, the treatments and the investigations and, and, and the diagnosis um, and diagnosing them at an earlier stage has really sort of improved so um i think it's then sort of taking a step back with patients and trying to explain that to them because again their anxieties um and their fears sort of will take over and initially it's it's quite difficult to for patients to sort of absorb that information but having that repeated conversations with them allows them to actually understand um better what's available out there when we're talking about the end of life as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. <coughs> when you're bombarded with bad news, you're not thinking with a logical mind, are you? You're going on an anxious, frightened, emotional mind, aren't you? So uh, I think it was Dr. Manny who was saying, keep it short and sweet because you can you can regurgitate pages, but very little is actually going in, is it? Yeah, especially in those that first conversation you have with patients when you get breaking the bad news. Um, they will absorb very little so a few words will stick into your head so you actually really have to think about what you're saying to patients because it really will impact them and if you say the wrong thing they'll get that stuck in their head because that's all they'll hear mm. they'll hear all the negatives they won't hear the positives or what what's available and what's going to happen they they pick up on that so mm. again it's having that repeated conversation with them afterwards but yeah initially keeping it short and sweet Becky what's your job role? I'm a GP um, in Stourbridge um, and I'm also, um, I've got another couple of roles, could be here all night talking about <laughs> my job. I'm an integrated care team lead, which basically means that I run um, a, a multidisciplinary meeting every week where we um, talk about patients and um, any problems that they might be having. And we have like mental health nurses, um, we have district nurses, Macmillan nurses, various different people all around the table. And we, you know, look at this person and say, what actually can we do to make their life better? And it's, you know, a lot of the time it's not medical things. It's it's all the other stuff that we try and help with, um, you know, social problems and that sort of thing. Um, and then also, um, as well as that, I'm um, a clinical lead for older adults. Um, so that's why Poonam and I tend to work quite closely together and be at a lot of the same meetings and discussions um, because obviously the one inevitable thing about getting old if you if you live that long is unfortunately at some point you're gonna you're gonna die. I think like we were saying a lot like the social care and like mental health. I imagine like the cancers are almost easier to fix than the mental health because everyone's mental health is different isn't it anything mm. it's not one tablet suits all or one therapy suits all or one hobby suits all and sometimes when it's talking about feelings and emotions it's hard to portray uh you know get it over and you can't just x-ray them going blumenick this needs to eat <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely um but you know there's some of when we have those discussions um about patients living with mental illness in our mdt meetings it's you know there's some of the best discussions because actually there's a lot that you can do and there's a lot our our um, staff can help with um you know and and it's great because actually in that meeting we have to think out of the box a little bit outside the box and come up with you know what's going to work for that person and it's it's not stuff that's in textbooks necessarily it's not stuff that they've done studies on it's you know what do we just think and you know what do we come up with 
Well, we say like after the pandemic, we started the big boxing classes. It was originally the furlough club, but mm -hmm. open up each day, an hour a day, often until half eleven for mixed. But they can come and train, do boxing training, and have a chat. And from April, we're we'll doing it five days a week for women as well. So it'll be half ten to half eleven mixed, then half eleven to half twelve for free for people to come down. So if you want to have a try of boxing, not sparring, not having combat, but learn the skills of boxing, fitness, and get out and have a chat. So if that's just something your organisation, you know, we'll work together. I will pass that on um, definitely when I when I see um, my team tomorrow. Actually. And we were said like off air, like when we talk about end of life, it can happen to all of us, isn't it? The end of life. But sometimes when it's been uh with your partner, you're not making one a will, or when you know the end is coming near. I remember my granddad Mike was dying and he was saying, Oh, um, with the house, and I was going, No, no, you'll be fine. You even though you know it's coming, you feel like by having the conversation, you're giving up. But it's not the case, is it? It's the writing's on the wall. Let's talk now. What is going to happen at the funeral? Is the money there? Have we got to raise money? What is happening to the house? What is going to... Because we were saying how many strong families split up because of the bloody cut glass or who's having the forks or who's having the dog or I don't want the dog. What are you going to do with the dog? And it's a shame, but we feel... Our family is so unique and so strong, but this is why we need the discussions to avoid the fallouts, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think well, what we what we can't control is what's going to cause our death, but what we can control is all the other things. So talking about what's going to happen and um, what's, what, what do you want in terms of your funeral and your will and all of that sort of thing. But I think it's not, I mean, end of life isn't really a topic that people want to go into mm. and it's mm. often a, a topic that causes a lot of anxiety and fear so it's <clears throat> commonly just avoided and it's not something that people will talk about over a cup of coffee or um, over a cup of tea at times and it's just brushed under the carpet until actually mm. a loved one passes away and then that's when they start to talk about it but talking about it I think initially um can actually provide a lot of comfort and actually bring families closer together so i think it's something that we try and encourage people to do a lot more because we just don't talk about it enough so within your within your roles when does that start being discussed do you wait for someone who is ill and say terminal and then you then you'll start in that process or is it before that point yeah we try and start a lot before that point so um we we sort of look at sort of their what we call the comorbidity so sort of what their um lifestyles like and what conditions that they do have and when we can start to see that deterioration we really want to pick it up at an early stage it it by the time sort of their terminal it's too late for us to be planning because they they'll say what their wishes are and actually what we could have done is planned and did everything according to their wishes a lot earlier so i think when they have sort of deteriorated it's actually quite a late stage to be thinking about it we really want mm -hmm. to be picking up um all of these patients a lot earlier and actually just planning and making sure that they're sort of they're having a comfortable um end of life um and and actually just picking up on their wishes and making sure we're we're actually adhering to their wishes uh, and do you plan for things is it when you say planning because we're thinking about it i suppose from a will side of things but you're thinking about from a okay, care so would it be like um 
you you would you like to leave this hospital and go home and and die peacefully at home or, or go to um fantastic mary stevens hospitals and uh, and place that is that kind of where yeah. you're you fit in and... yeah absolutely so it's, it's picking upon their preferred places of care preferred place of death what who they'd want around them is there anything specific a lot of um, different cultures have different sort of values and do things a little bit differently so it's picking them all um up at an earlier stage so yeah if we if we know what the patient wants so if they want to go home and die and we we would then start to put things in place so that that happens um for patients and we know that we're following their their wishes i like the do not resuscitate and or i do want to donate my organs or i don't want to uh, donate my organs or if when the quality of life is too bad i don't want to be on the support machine those kind of things and how would they go about putting those things in place? So normally we we try and pick up these discussions at an earlier stage and then now what we're it's a national process so now we're trying to um get encourage these have these positive conversations encourage these conversations and document it on what we call a respect form which stands for uh, recommended um escalation and a summary of of their treatment <laughs> I'd have to think about that then um, and that sort of goes through sort of it, it, it details and I think it, it's not just helpful for sort of medical professionals it's also helpful for patients to detail on there and it's got it's, it's a brilliant document because it, it's got on there sections about what they fear the most um, and sometimes this is going into hospital or not someone not looking after my dog yeah. um, and then the other side of it is their actual sort of wishes that they put on um, and then the document sort of goes into what they would want in terms of their comfort so do they want their comfort to be prioritized or are they wanting more medical treatment mm -hmm. and it's having that conversation so it's almost sort of that document it sort of uh, enables us to ensure that we're following that th their sort of wishes and making sure we've got everything in in place and then that that again the dnar so the uh, do not resuscitate is incorporated into that as well and we try to have these conversations with their families present as well and try and encourage that well, i mean becky that's really important because you think about i think about when i'm at that point and i'm deciding that i know would freak out about the dog not being looked after if I hadn't already planned that, yeah. uh, I mean, it would be more my kids, to be quite honest. But <laughs> <laughs> swear about them. But you, you would, wouldn't you, if yeah, you haven't yeah, yeah. thought about that in the, you, yeah. you know, and we don't yeah. think about that. Like at my age now, I don't really, yeah. I think I've thought about it a bit more as uh, um, with Calla because uh, she takes a lot more care than my other two children, yeah. to be quite honest. So it's, a, it's more of a thought in my mind, but I haven't done anything about that thought now and, and really to you know to to have something like that in place and and discuss it with the family around you is really important and, and actually having plans like that in place at the end of life is really important because if someone's got something like that that's not sorted often they'll be agitated at the end yeah. of life um you know and, and actually just sorting that small thing like who's going to look after the dog could actually make someone's end of life much mm. you know much better for them they might need less medication at the end of life they might just be generally more peaceful and you know and sort of you know serene and, and happy yeah, i've had the experience i was speaking off air because my daughter has a advanced health care plan and there's a section in there where you you talk about what you're doing though in in emergency situations like that and the do not resuscitate and and I remember when we were first filling that out a number of years ago now. She was a poorly child at the time, and I was just thinking, 
it's absolutely terrified me filling it out because I didn't want to think about that happening. But then a couple of years later, she was seriously ill in hospital. And I'm so glad we'd already filled that out. And I didn't need to be asked at the time because that, had, you know, I think I knew the I knew at the time how serious, how much serious trouble she was in. But that had really brought it home if someone had walked up to me and said, well, you know, if it comes to this, do you want us to resuscitate her or not? It, You know, it had been, oh, I can't even imagine, to be honest. Um, so it, it's really important to have these plans written down, isn't it? And and everyone know it, what they're doing. When it comes to it, and, and if you ask, you ask someone in that situation, it just becomes a completely emotionally driven mm. discussion mm. at that point. Whereas I think if you ask earlier people can rationalize it yeah. they've got time to talk about it and talk it through with other people you know and and all come to a, a you know an agreement together as a family yeah. or as friends you know you, you say that when when we initially did it it was an emotional reaction mm. do everything you possibly can and I, I've, I probably at the time didn't understand why they was asking us that as well not fully but as a couple of years have gone on my i still want them to do everything they can that hasn't changed but my thinking now is totally different to what it was then yeah. in terms of I actually think about it and, and why I want to do everything yeah. we can for her, not just a reaction of doing that. Yeah. And I think when you said sort of it's a difficult com sort of conversation that you wouldn't want at that time, I mean, difficult for families um, to go through that. But I think it's also, from our point of view, it's difficult for medical professionals because we don't want to be asking yeah. at that time because we yeah. know how much you're going through. And this is why it's so important to have that plan in place. Um, so when it comes to uh, situations like this, we don't have to sort of go through the details and you can just spend time with your loved ones. I'm glad you said that because this is why it's great having people on like yourselves because when you're in the fight yourself like him, he probably, not you in particular, but you will say, well, how do you want to do it? And you, for God's sake, for they'll take the frustration out on you. You're trying to do your job and he's just trying to survive. Get through the day. Yeah. You forget that person who's asking the question isn't doing it for kicks and laughs and it's they're doing their job mm -hmm. for the best for you and your child. Well, I can imagine as well that... Um that that piece of paper has to be signed and i just think imagine you're in that situation where you're mm. potentially going to lose your loved one and this person piece of paper this person's in front of you saying well can you sign this just to say you don't want you know it's i, and I understand it's got to be done but it's very yeah. clinical and very like but you know also people, people that's it and you've got to take that and i bet some days when you've had bad days in the office <laughs> and you've still got to take that home haven't you girls and that's do you do you guys that like, when you have had a bad day, do they offer you therapy and do, is there organisations where you two can talk and have help? Will there are, possibly? yeah. I mean, we 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 have got things like um, can't think what pr practitioner support um, where we can go for for sort of mental health support, and I think like the BMA have got um, a helpline that you can ring and that sort of thing. And I think during the pandemic, there's a lot of other stuff cropped up, actually, because I think um, people finally realised that actually taking everybody else's burdens on all yeah. day becomes quite a burden to you. Um, so there's um, a website that we can all access in the black country called The Hub, and we can all look on there, and there's, there's loads of stuff that you've got access to. Yeah, I think you're right, Becky. I think there's a lot more now than there used to be. Mm. Um, and I think 
I think especially like you said after the pandemic is when a lot of people struggled so I think after that there's been a lot more sort of support services out there for for healthcare professionals because we need people to look after you guys because you're looking after everyone and I imagine like with everything some patients are easier to look after because they're (laughs) more friendly the more appreciated but even the the not very nice ones still need to be looked after don't they yeah and that that's they too are people like you are people and i think sometimes that person who could be being horrible to you on any given tuesday might be a lovely chap yeah it might be horrible it might be one of them horrible people <laughs> but it might be a lovely chap but he's so <clears throat> tired and in pain and frustrated and frightened he's got to take it out on someone so you might not always see the best of that person had you yeah it's true we've, we've had a question coming actually i'll just bring it up so they ask, can someone discuss with the GP before end of life planning or terminal illness, e.g. I have severe asthma and I'm reasonably well at the moment, but I know it can be totally fatal, very serious all of a sudden. So would they go to the GP and discuss that at this point? Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's we we have so many patients and normally if they've got lots of health care um, health conditions and things that that's when they start to um start to have these discussions but we've also you know i've had patients who haven't got many but have got maybe a severe one or even a less severe one who want to just discuss their their care plan and and that's absolutely fine to be able to do that i think um we try and make sure that people know it's not just sort of for for those that are coming towards the end of life it is it can be for anyone who wants to discuss and that's what you presume isn't it you think yeah. well someone who's terminal and has only got so been told they've only got so long you think oh well they put that in place you know it shouldn't, but you but you it, it, it's it is the same as doing a will isn't it it's the same kind of thing you're going actually i'm putting this in place so everyone knows before that point i'm, I'm fine now but everyone knows before that point and there's there's no questions or debates about it it's done yeah. No, I was just going to say the other thing is that people, you know, when we do discuss it, we write it down in the care plans and they can change over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not that it's fixed and that's Mm -hmm. exactly how it has to be. You know, over time, things change. Um, So you're and if you feel differently, sort of a couple of years down the line or so you can change and we can have that rediscussion about sort of Mm -hmm. their health at that time and make a different plan. Can can any GP, so if I was to go to my GP now, any GP will stop it or will they point us in your direction to do that, to, to do the plan? I would hope that any GP would, would sit down and do to it. sit down and have okay. that discussion with you. And, uh, you know, I think we have a we have much more training now, don't we, about end, end of life discussions and, you know, breaking bad news and things. I, I think, you know, we, we are lucky that we have a lot more communication skills training and things now. I think it is good because how many times you've gone to someone's funeral and you go, Jeff would have absolutely hated <laughs> You know what I mean? And you're thinking, oh, and you, you leave there thinking, oh. But if you can have that conversation, you think, well, he, he was more of a religious person or she wanted more music or, yeah. you know what I mean? And I think, because <clears throat> the funeral itself is just a good boy, isn't it? I think, yeah. It's painful. It's always painful when you lose someone, but it's painful up to the funeral. And you cry at the funeral, then you go to the wake and you have a laugh. Yeah, and you think you're having a, a good laugh about the soft times, the funny times, and the wake can actually be a good laugh, can't it? And then it's yeah. that kind of goodbye. And then obviously the next day, you, or the, whatever, you see a crisp packet or whatever, and, and you're all breaks again because that's grief, isn't it? Yeah. I saw, I heard lovely saying once 
grief is the price we pay for loving someone, but it's mm. it's the price we pay over again. And it is that that pain is just you loved them so much. Yeah. But at least you got to love them. Mm. And I think if we can honor their wishes in how they either want to be treated or how they want to be mourned or how what goes to it, it's a it's what we should do for them, yeah. isn't it? And if they want to give it to the cat, it's there, it's it's theirs. <laughs> it it it's up to that human being, isn't it? Definitely. And respect their wishes. Definitely. So once that once that's filled out and obviously uh, it does come towards the end of life, if that person was to to uh, or if that person's family wanted to change anything within that, would they be allowed to do that? Or you know, is there circumstances where the doctors would feel like it was better to go another route and change any anything in there, or is it kind of that set in stone and that's what we follow? So I think we try to. So it depends. So we. Mm. This is why we try and get family involvement when we do do sort of the the planning um, side of things. But I think it would it would depend because ideally if that was what the patient had written then we would want to follow that as much um because again if anything changes we're not sure sort of what what mm, circumstances yeah. around that in terms of what family and, and things so we would always follow it and or act in the best interests of the patient and i, I think you know life throws curveballs sometimes mm. so you do make these plans and you've you know I've had patients where, you know, they absolutely desperately wanted to stay at home, mm. but actually it's just not been possible to do mm. that for whatever reason. You know, often in terms of a safety reason that, that we just cannot get the amount of care that that person needs to be at home. Mm. And, you know, if that happens, it's not some, that's not a decision that we would take lightly. We would you know literally sit around the table and have everyone who's involved in that person's care have a chat about it and work out you know what's if we can't do exactly what that person wanted what's the closest next thing that we can get you know and and just check in at every stage that the family are okay with that and are happy because actually if you get you know the reason i love doing end of life um care with patients is if you do it right, it's that last thing that you do. And that can be the difference between that family having a good passage through their grief or not. Um, you know, it really is that important. And sometimes, like she said, I want to stay at home or... And then the person just... Your loved one, your children, your, your partner, just can't look yeah. after you. And then... That you know, there isn't enough home help, or you keep having tumbles, or I can't lift well, you. Or... You can't get the equipment physically in the house, or or yeah. And you you see it with your blinkers on, don't you? Because you're thinking, well, I want to go in this house. This is my house. All my happy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's not a happy place anymore because you're seeing your partner's falling apart, or your children's falling apart. So that's when you can review your plan. Yeah. You know, and uh, what's it called again? Respect form. Yeah, it's almost like an adjunct to sort of an advanced care plan, but the respect form is is one that sort of it's got all the information in a short succinct way so for healthcare professionals so again if because it may not just be the gp so you'll have out of hours doctors and other mm. other healthcare professionals that might need to come in um to review the patient so that's sort of more of a, a medical document but then takes into account the patient's wishes so it's, it's 
provided in a succinct way mm -hmm. but we also do have the advanced care planning document which is a bit goes into a bit more depth around what patients wishes are and what their fears are and all the little bits that that patients want um and for example some patients will say oh you know at my funeral i want those red shoes or you know yeah. I want the red lipstick yeah. and they're the sorts of things that we yeah. would we would sort of discuss and put in their care plans and um, so, yeah. is that care so the advanced care plan well daughter we have a physical copy that we take around mm -hmm. is that the same principle yeah. with that you so wherever you go wherever. anyone can look at it yeah. anyone you want can look at it it's not anyone yeah. you can look at it yeah. but we can't go like download this we have to go and sit with a professional to go through it yes it has to be because it has to be signed by yeah. a, a medical professional so. so it is a legal document it's not just i can just whip one up so the respect form isn't uh, isn't classed as a legal document but it is um it is a form that has to be signed by what we call the senior responsible clinician so gps or whoever's in charge if it's in a hospital it'll be a hospital doctor that'll be able to sign that it's funny not being a dad but you like to think like if i died my wife would look after my daughter or she dies i'd but you know even like talking about it, it's like because you don't like thinking about it blood my neck if one of us died or like if one of us had cancer or whatever you got your bubble but there's that well about if we both went then it looks after your daughter and it, them kind of things and you, you try <laughs> not to think about it in the day to i love do you if, if you can blood my neck don't go down that rabbit hole <laughs> but how bad if you did? So it is worth thinking about who would look after my baby, who would look after my little girl, who would, you know, and it's sometimes the uncle, we need to have uncomfortable conversations because what's more uncomfortable, this like bit of an awkward feeling now, or, or what, what would happen? So we need the conversations, don't we? I would like you know in my lifetime hopefully that people don't think that they're awkward conversations anymore mm. we've you know if you look at the victorian era they were really just really comfortable with death death mm. was just what happened you know obviously people died a lot younger um so people were just seeing death all the time families were really involved in what happened after death you know they laid their own relatives out they you know they had people in the house after they died and people came round and it was just normal um and i think now medicine has kind of basically advanced so much that we almost view death as a failure now um even if someone's 100 we still view mm. that as a failure somehow that you know well couldn't they have just got to 101 or couldn't mm. they have just got to you know another six months and it's you know i think we need to just accept that it, it is part of life and it does happen but i think because we're living longer as well that is kind of hard uh, the problem because people were more used to having death yeah. around them from an earlier age yeah you know you you, you saw more people dying your friends family whereas now we're living longer so yeah it, it, it's it, it seems further away doesn't it yeah but it's really like how we touch with getting the better of cancer now with the research but then when i was growing up you wouldn't hear about many people taking their own lives it was happening but behind closed doors yeah. whereas suicide has touched virtually everyone to me i mean like anxiety depression yeah. has if you didn't believe in mental health before the lockdown we've all had a taste of it through the lockdown with the loneliness the anxiety and everything else coming at you but then more and more people i don't know if it's because what we do here 
but more and more people say suicide has entered their life at some stage have you especially you Becky, like working with it have you have you seen more creeping in uh, yeah i mean i've been a gp for 11 years like fully qualified and i've definitely seen it more often and i think in younger people as mm. well that i think that's a really frightening thing um you know is that it is much younger people um you know and and, and the methods as well have, have, have kind of changed about you yeah say it's same and I, I would agree because I, I you know as a gp you, you encounter mental health all the time mm -hmm. with patients um but yeah they are a lot younger um now and it's trying to to get that support in place for those patients at an earlier stage sort of and previously i think we'd always think you know later on as they get older and we, mm -hmm. we normally talk about the adult side of things and but now we're looking at more more sort of in the younger ages and in children and it's actually trying to to recognize that and trying to put the support in place for, for those children well it's uh, when it is children i mean it's never any good anyway but when it's children and the yeah. devastation we had we've had um papyrus on we've had uh, yeah. ripple on and alice from ripple uh, her brother completed suicide and she put it better than i probably ever have because i've had people in my life to have the lives and it said suicide's different to any other bereavement because when your dad dies of cancer you, you can hate cancer or he gets run over by a car you hate that drive you hate. but when that person you love takes their own life who do you hate and you blame them going why haven't you talked to me it's after sodom we could have and then you're mourning but you're almost resentful and it's a weird form of mourning and when she said it to me and i've said this on many show i've talked to people and it's very identical uh, you know you can identify with you thinking yeah I'm sad, but I'm so frustrated. And it, it's, it's weird emotion. When you lose someone, and my dad always says this, no matter how good of a son or husband <clears> or whoever you are, you also be guilty. Because I could have seen them a little bit more. Did I tell them I loved them enough? Or, or I didn't take them to the airport or whatever it is. <laughs> and it leaves us that kind of... Do you, do you see that in your practice? You know the guilt after someone's passed with people is it more common than you think and yeah i mean i think most people i speak to are bereaved will have some sort of guilt about something mm. you know and like you say it's not always the big things sometimes mm. it's it's the little thing that they didn't do and you know um my dad died last year and you know as a doctor i was questioning myself i was thinking well you know he was ill a couple of days before i went into hospital should i have should i have known should i have mm. done something differently and the honest answer is no because mm. he, he had endocarditis which is incredibly rare you don't see it very often there's no way i could have known from having cold symptoms mm. but you you have to go through, i think you have to go through that process of of working through that um you know and i do see it with most most briefed people i don't know about you yeah no i do as well and i think it's we often talk about the different stages of, of grief and mm. yeah and it's it's that all over again and trying to <coughs> work through and, and it's very easy to blame yourself mm. um for things um and and think oh yeah could i have done things differently um but actually when you when you go back and actually sort of work through things you know mm. you've probably done everything you can mm. you've probably done the best you can what are the stages of grief? 
So the stages of grief, um, the, so the, there's five stages. They normally go through. I want to try and see if I can remember this now. I should be testing me. We're going to test you. I'll bring it up now yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you probably need to, to be honest. So I think it goes from um, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. Yeah. So they're the ones that it goes sort of round. And, you're, and some people spend different in each stage so different amounts of times in each stage some people may not have all the all, go through all the stages um but we see different we see people go through it in different ways um so we always talk about that and that's when you know i often use that when i'm talking to patients about when they've had bereavement or we're going through the grief and um and you often get delayed grief reactions as well so some people actually when when someone's bereaved and they're absolutely fine to start off with but it hits them a little bit later on um so it's then having that discussion and trying to make them recognize that actually the feelings that they have are pretty normal because they're going through that grief process we've had another question come in I'll just bring it up uh, from Steve, how are you doing, Steve? Steve Ansel. Uh, not sure if you've covered this, but just wondering if the doctors have any access to help, should they need it? Could only imagine it would be hard at times. Well, actually, we have covered it. If you'd have listened, Steve, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you again. No, we, um, there is the was it the Black Country Hub yeah. that you can use? I, I'll just add to that question: Is there anything you two do personally that helps you at the end of the day to kind of forget about? Uh, well, not forget to deal with, deal with what's gone on through your day. I don't know. Well, so my, my husband's med, um, made it well surgical also because he's a doctor as well. I, I find it very helpful just to just to talk through some things because um, I guess he understands as well. Um, sometimes when I talk to my family, I, I, they understand, but to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's nice to have someone. And I often just think speaking about the things um, and what's happened through your day and just getting some reassurance that you've done the right thing, that you've mm -hmm. done all you can to help that patient um, is really just helpful for me. I'm, I don't tend to do much sort of writing down things and because um, and, and, I know a lot of people do write down things and try and sort of deal with it that way. But I think even even just just speaking about mm. things and um, and I think once I've sort of talked about it almost ranted about things <laughs> I, I, you know it's it's a better way for me to deal with I, I find that with uh, with disability and, and looking after my daughter that speaking to someone who's lived that experience you know it, it might not be exactly the same what's going on but someone you know who understands what you're saying who's been through something similar is a real big help yeah. do you have you got any yeah, I mean, my husband's not a doctor. He's not. He don't work in medicine at all. Um, he's actually he works in quality um, in a in automotive industry. So sometimes I'll rant at him, um, and he'll be like, "This enough, enough. We've heard enough of this." you know you need to move on so that's often good actually because it stops you from dwelling on everything um and sometimes me and my mom driving crackers because she works in health as well so we've got a lot in common and and we're we both understand it um she's you know and she gets it um so i think you have to have a balance of both things don't you and you need different things at different times i think well lee come on for great saying it's been like one of the back bones of podcast you've got to find your medicine haven't you yeah whether it's exercise walking ranting <laughs> drinking whatever it is you find <laughs> what keeps you afloat in the storm Definitely. and sometimes you go well what you should do but what you what works for you won't necessarily work for me so find what brings you peace and roll with that isn't it 
yeah. So I'm, I'm reading messages. We're going down there. <laughs> <laughs> We've just been bombarded. So apologies. Excuse me a second. No, I heard someone say recently, um, and they were talking. They were talking about the pandemic. We're all in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. Yeah. Because actually, the pandemic was different for everybody, wasn't it? You know, we all. It was. It was the same. But your experience and the way you played it was differently. And I, I think that is the. It's so true. Like me and Lee, I mean, Lee rather enjoyed because he was at home. They're all in quarantine, but he got to spend time with his girls and, he, and his lads. You know what I mean? So, whereas other people I've talked to hated it, and I had bouts of hating it and loving it because, you know what I mean? I hope to God when my little girl grows up and someone goes, Oh, you're a crony baby, weren't you? She goes, Oh, that was great. I'd, me and my daddy were playing all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I hope that's the memory she has <laughs> from it. But other people had a dreadful time. So, yeah, same storm, different boat. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I had a job where I was travelling up and down the country, here, there and everywhere, rarely at, at home um, for more than a few hours, and then I was like, off out again. And, uh, yeah, so for me, it slowed me right down. Mm. Um, and that was it, because once, once my daughter came along, I thought, right, I've got to... Well, when, my, when any of my children, I've got three children, when they all came along, I thought, oh, right, you've got to be the breadwinner now. You've got to earn more because my wife couldn't work because she was looking after kids but that especially happened when my little one come along and and had her disabilities so well you've got to you've got to be out there more earning more because you're going to lose that wage and you know you want to keep and there's more expense if if you're looking after someone with this disability yeah, um and i panicked and i worked harder longer you know more hours and the pandemic come along and it stopped it all it's right you're, you're at home now and i absolutely love being at home looking after her but it also made me realise that actually you don't need that much money. You know, you, right. you, you don't. You, if you're sacrificing uh, time with your family for money, there is there's always going to be an element to that because we've all got to live in a house and, and do and you know and eat. But make sure it doesn't go to the extreme where you're not seeing them and you're not part of their lives because yeah. it, it's useless. Especially like my daughter, you know, there's a good chance we'll outlive her. So do I want to get to that point and? regret not spending as much time as possible there it, into it definitely it? does definitely did yeah life's yeah. got a great way of doing that hasn't he <laughs> humbling yeah. you or making you think bloody hell why am i sweating this <laughs> so we've got another steve's asked another question i'll just bring it up again <clears throat> so is there a normal time that grief can take i lost my older brother a long time ago but still affects me from time to time sometimes still feels like it's just happened and, and this is where it goes back to what I was saying, is that people go through it differently. Yeah. So it can last up to however long it lasts to get that acceptance. Um, and people will go through the different stages. So there isn't, uh, there's never a point where we will say, oh, by this time mm -hmm. you will have gone through it and you'll feel better because everyone's different and everyone will work through it in different ways. Uh, I'm, I know I know Steve, brother, who's a good good friend of mine. And um, what I found myself is is when it, when it initially happened, because it's... Well, it was twenty, was twenty one, no, nearly thirty nine. So it's a long time ago now. But uh, um, to begin with, it was a lot of thinking about the bad that he that he passed, which it, it's horrible. The as, but as as it as time went on, it was more thinking about the fun we had, you know, because we we, yeah. you know, we we're friends from from an early age up until twenty one, and we got up to some mischief. And I'll remember <laughs> that more now than than actual the the bad of him passing away and and the circumstances it was under. Yeah, because yeah. someone said about with grief and with trauma, sometimes you put like a, a cork in it, 
and the court can come yeah. off at any time. Definitely. You know, sometimes it's instantaneous, isn't it? And yeah. then sometimes, and you look at them and go, how on earth are you still going? You look at people and you go, how hasn't it affected you? And then all of a sudden you just see them, 10 years, 20 years, just, and it, it hits them. What has happened, the realisation? Seen that with patients loads, actually. Um, and sometimes with grief, it's, it's you know, obviously you experience the grief of the death that happens there and then but sometimes i'll see people who you know lose another member of their family or a friend and it just rakes up all of the past as well so it, it not it doesn't become grief about one person then it, it's almost double grief you know and also you see clusters where people lose two or three people in a short succession of time or whatever and they just can't process the grief from one person before they get to the the, the next death and then it just you know it, it just snowballs and once again you've got to know yourself and sometimes you, we don't know we're going to be do we no you know, and there's not a way to be is no. there i think you know it's not you shouldn't you shouldn't fit into <coughs> a box of why this is no. how you should behave it's just go through the emotions yourself but i do think people have have this notion that there is a way you should be mm. and i think people like when my dad died my husband said to me you've barely cried mm. and i was like no you've barely seen me cry mm. i do my crying upstairs when you're asleep or mm. in the car at the traffic lights when a, a song comes on that reminds me of dad you know i do it my own way and you know uh, you know i think he thinks because i cry at you know i can cry at coronation street mm. I should I should automatically have that same reaction to to dad's death and it's different and it hits you in a different way um but I think there is that notion that you're supposed to do things in a certain way I'm a bit like that but also I'm, I'm a titty babby I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll cry at anything and but, but when other things and I'm thinking well, why haven't you cried at this you know or, and my, my wife said well why but it's different emotions and it's something will just catch you yeah. catch your breath and then other stuff what you're thinking Am I in shock? Is it? Because oh, I know I'm hurting, and I know my life will never be the same. But I haven't reacted how I thought I was going to react. Yeah. At this time. Totally get that. Totally get that. But we 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 complicated. But you know, as you say, <laughs> the next time something happens, or and then you just you you're somewhere and you just break, and it, it wasn't the right time, but it wasn't the wrong time. It was just the time that your body was ready to to grieve and i think i think we need to sort of be really open about that don't we that there isn't a right and a wrong time to experience emotions it, they come when they come and mm -hmm. you know you've just got to deal with it at that time and I, I think you know talk about it more and and be honest about it you know and support each other yeah i think, I, I think that goes to the to the uh, life care plan as well doesn't it because you that's going to be an emotional time but don't don't not do it because it's going to be emotional uh, you know uh, still sit down and do it and and kind of accept okay it's going to be emotional let's let, let's sit down let's do it and i and i don't know whether you whether you'd advise it but once you've actually written it down give it a week or two and then revisit it because you are you are looking at things through an emotional lens because <coughs> the question the kind of questions that are asked yeah yeah and and i think it's 
being able to make sure that you're aware that you can go back to things mm. and, and look at it in in two weeks time or so and make sure you're happy with what's what's on there and whether things have changed and yeah. and how you're feeling at that point as well because again things will change and if like you say you split up with your partner and stuff like that and yeah. re revisit things like that or if you've had a fall out with your siblings and just just because you've put it down once you can go back and say, well, I'm not with her or him or this has changed. Can I revisit it? Yeah. Or my dog has now unfortunately passed away, so Patch hasn't got to be looked after now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of it's a simple thing because it's amazing what we worry about, isn't <clears> it? <throat> and I've known people, you know, a faffa, they worry about everything. You know, it looks like it's going to rain. Oh, we've got to get the washing and we've got to... And then something amazingly bad happens, and they're as cold as a cucumber. <laughs> but but that same person is cold as a cucumber. Have you walked the dog? Yeah, I've walked the dog. Are you sure you've walked the dog? I've walked the bloody dog. <laughs> and it's funny what can tip people over the edge. They're there, stood on the brink of absolute catastrophe. But if that dog's not walked three times a day, they will lose their head. <laughs> but you but, describe me. <laughs> but you've got to care for that person. If the dog has to be walked three times a day, have it in place. That dog is being walked three times a bloody day. Because that can make that can make the biggest difference at a crucial time, can't it? It can. And, and honestly, I've seen I've seen people at end of life get really agitated and, and it it's so hard sometimes to work out why they're agitated and it's it's not usually anything medical it's it's usually something that's that's going on in their mind or their head that's just stressing them out and if you can find it and and know and you know you can sort it well that is sometimes i'm dying the cancer's got me but i still have control of a walking patch yeah and sometimes it's that when i've lost control of absolutely everything it's the last yeah. bit i have make sure he or she's all right yeah so respect that in someone and they might not just be an awkward old git mm. exactly. it could really make all the difference to be a bit patient bear with them yeah. and respect yeah. their wishes yeah. well good off you know is there is there anything first you want to say uh about your organization or anything do you need to get out there or anything in general i would say just talk to your family um uh, you know and if there's something that you think's important that they need to know about end of life for you you know i mean just tell them you know my mum's made it quite abundantly clear she wants everyone to wear yellow she wants a horse and cart and she'd like us all to walk out of the crematorium to co copacabana by barry manilow yeah. so you know if you happen to see that going down the road <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> but you know seriously these, yeah. these conversations you need to have yeah and i would say people just need to talk about it more because it is an uncomfortable topic but once you've talked about it once it gets easier yeah. to talk mm, about definitely. you're able to plan things you're able to make your wishes heard and and i think it's it's just recognizing i think sometimes people feel that if they talk about it, they, they become a bit weaker or they're bec being a burden on their families and, and friends. But I think actually just actually having that conversation yeah. um, is 
is helpful for not just sort of patients but for families as well so if anything talk about it things and I think it just plants the seed as well to start thinking about it um, at an earlier stage so yeah the, the, the earlier planning you can do um, and have those discussions with family um, the better it is just because you know, wondering, I want a solid gold statue of myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, just spr sprinkle my ashes up the club, and I'm happy. But and, we, um, we'll put them in a punch bag for you if yeah, you like. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, you know, there's a we've got a new um, start. Um, I want to call it a club, but it's not really a club. Um, a, a new organisation, that's the word I'm looking for, started recently, um, I've been involved in called Coffee and Club. Um, I just want to plug them because they're trying to break down barriers about death and about talking about death and, you know, just trying to make it normal part of life. And, um, you know, they're going to, they've got, um, they've got a, um, a, Facebook page basically um, and it's if you search for in Margaret's memory coffin club Margaret was the mom of the person who set it up um, you know you'll find it and there's loads of really interesting information there and it's lighthearted you know it's a serious topic but it's done lightheartedly and you know with a smile what's it called again um, it's called yeah, in Margaret's memory coffin club Margaret's CIC memory. yeah so girls and ladies talk a bit, but we always like to finish on a quote. Have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life? Do, do you know what? I was just about to finish on this because I came across one the other day and I thought, do you know what? That's really, that just, just makes you think about things differently. So it says, at the end of life, what really matters is not what we bought, but what we built. Not what we got, but what we shared. Not our competence, but our character. And not our success, but our significance. Live a life that matters. And I think it's just bringing together, actually, to make sure that you're talking about what matters to you in life more so that you're able to, to achieve everything that you've wanted to achieve in life. Good. Have you listened before, or has Kev warned you about that quote? No, did Kev, you didn't warn me. No. You warned me about <laughs> I'm real, I'm quite Yeah, because Kev it, drops it, most people in it, and everyone just says, "Oh God." No, I did. It was. I was. I was looking at. Something. I can't remember what I was looking at. Um, and I was doing some some research because, again, sort of like the Coffin Club, we do sort of um dying matters week we do death cafes um, and things like that so i was just pulling some of the information because that's obviously coming up in the next yeah. couple of months so i was just looking at things and it just came across, and there's loads of quotes out there but i just thought um it's it's just what matters to you in life and your quality of life and actually talking about things just make it just highlights that really Becky. I can't think of anything deep and meaningful and, and uh, that, that was a hard act to follow profound. to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Um so no, not really. Um no. <laughs> that was lovely, you know, and it, I love my quotes, love my sayings, and as you say, it's um it's my mum always said because on the deathbed she won't think about the telly or the settee, it'll be the times you spend with those who matter. And that's what life is, isn't it? It's the memories that we take with us Absolutely. and we leave behind. So, guys, thank you ever so much for coming on. Guys, thank you for listening. So, until we, I want you all to take care of yourselves and each other. Ta-ra a bit. Listen, listen, listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta-ra-ra-bit. 
Listen, listen.